Hi friends, welcome to Womankind. This is your host, Kelsey Novitz, and I'm here in episode 44 with my guest, Erin Palmer. Erin is a newly minted attorney and a gamer and a tabletop player, among many other things. So hi, Erin. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So let's jump right in. Tell us a little bit about what it's like to be new as an attorney this year. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) It's been really interesting. It's, you know, you go to law school for three years and then you have the bar exam and kind of immediately after the bar exam, you hop into the legal world. And it's very different from law school. Um, I would say it's almost like the secret fourth year of law school and that you learn all of the practical skills and the actual fundamentals that they kind of, they didn't miss in law school, but they definitely glossed over for what's going to be on the bar exam. It was kind of like having a fourth year of law school, but in like a practical sense, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's been very busy. Um, So, but it's been a good, it's been a good experience. I'm really enjoying uh, finally being free of, of, (laughs) of law school and having passed the bar and getting to actually say, yes, I am an attorney. (laughs) That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. I feel like the schooling, I'm a high school teacher and I feel like the schooling is very similar, especially for secondary education where you hear a lot of theory, you do a lot of like content work, and then you get into the classroom and you're like, oh, didn't know a lot of these things. <laughs> you're like really put on the spot. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, it's like that with law too. You've got yeah. three years where you're studying, you know, your fundamental torts, contracts, property law, et cetera. And then you basically take maybe a year and a half of classes that interest you. Um, but other than that, you know, you get to the bar exam, you basically put out all of this information onto paper for them to say, yeah, you know, like the baseline amount that you should know to be an attorney, but then they release you into the field. And I was fortunate in that my school um, really did prepare me for being in the courtroom. I took a year and a half of courtroom experience. So I had almost half of my law school experience was spent in the courtroom in some some way or another, um, but I know other law schools don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very different. There's all these little tips and tricks that you get from older attorneys that you don't really get in law school because you're so focused on the studying aspect of it. Right. I mean, there are some things that you just can't know until you're doing it. So Right. And it's, you know, you don't really think about each judge. Like, I work in Chicago. So we have hundreds and hundreds of judges and each judge has a way that they want things done. And each courtroom tends to have different rules. Um, currently I work for a judge in Chicago. So, you know, we have our own set of rules that are different from the courtroom right next door that does the same exact thing. Um, so you kind of have to learn which judges will allow you to do this, which judges won't allow you to do this, things like that. So is it mostly like procedural things that are different? Right. It's, it's all judges obviously apply the law. Um, right. You know, if the law says something is illegal, then it's illegal. Right. Uh, but each judge kind of has their own way of going about managing the procedural aspects so far from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. We have lots of judges who are very defendant friendly. I work, um, I work with mortgages, so we see a lot of defendants who come in and they just don't, they don't understand the legal process. And some judges are very forgiving of that and some judges aren't. It just really depends. Mm -hmm. 
Interesting. Oh, that was going to be my next question is what type of law do you practice? Yeah. So I went to school for family law, but right now I'm working in mortgage foreclosure. Oh, interesting. It's a bit of a, it's a different direction than I had intended to go in, but, um, you know, a lot of divorces do have the mortgage foreclosure aspect. You have to consider if two people got a mortgage together as husband and wife, and now they're separating who's keeping the house, who's keeping the mortgage, who's making the mortgage payments. Um, you know, it's very common in my office to get phone calls from ex, ex uh, partners and who will be like, you know, I'm being called up to be part of this mortgage foreclosure proceeding. But in my divorce papers, he was supposed to be the sole mortgagee and or mortgagor. And, you know, we get a lot of those questions. So I think it's very helpful, at least for what I want to do, which is family law, um, to kind of have that experience as well. Oh, absolutely. I guess I didn't really consider that that would be a huge part of like mortgage law is divorce and, you know, division of assets and that right. type of thing. Yeah. And of course, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the crazy woman who all my friends like I want to be in corporate law and never deal with people and I'm like I want to be in family law where people call me at five in the morning with their problems <laughs> not that that's the most exciting part of the job but it has definitely happened well I mean I feel like that takes a special type of person to do that type of law so if you have those that personality and those skills for that like we need people doing that right I think that people you know it's a, it's a hard job it's you're often playing the role of mediator. Um, mm -hmm. My, I did a year of experience in our school's um, child law clinic, which essentially means that I acted as the attorney, supervised by a licensed attorney at the time, because um, I was still a law student. But I acted as the attorney for children in um, domestic relations cases and in child protection, which would be like um, where the state gets involved um, with children at risk. So I had to do a lot of mediation and that was just kind of something I fell in love with was, you know, having to negotiate with parents and with the state and trying to, you know, work for the betterment of my clients who were all between the ages of four and 12. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That sounds so challenging and so heartbreaking. Yeah, it could be heartbreaking, but it can also be really, you know, it can be really inspiring. My, I had one client who got a Lego set for Christmas and he couldn't wait to show me. And it was Aww. like, it was the best client meeting I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. How many lawyers could say that they, the highlight is when they were shown a Lego set by their right. client. You know, and you have to just remember, you know, they are children. So you can't really, it's a whole different way of talking about law. It really challenges you to see how well you know it. You know how people often say like, Oh, the, the best, the best way to see how much you know about a subject is to have to teach it to someone who doesn't understand it. Right. And it's, you know, having to talk with children about what's going on in their case without using the words case or lawyer or court mm -hmm. because they don't necessarily understand those concepts. Right. It can be very different. So how do you do that? Like I'm thinking of all the stories we've heard of you know, lawyers, immigration lawyers at the border who have clients that are two years old that can barely speak that are then forced to go in front of a judge alone. How do right. you do that? Um, so here in, in Chicago, they always have their attorneys with them. Um, in child protection, we generally 
the child isn't, if they're too young, they're actually not allowed to come to court because it's just confusing and overwhelming for them, right? Like a five-year-old shouldn't be in a courtroom by themselves. Right. It's just ridiculous. They, they should be, you know, learning their ABCs and learning, you know, math problems and playing outside, not in a courtroom proceeding with people they don't know and subjects they don't understand. Right. Um, but it's just kind of, you know, being patient with them, trying to explain concepts through pictures was a, a really strong thing for me. Um, a lot of my client interviews just, they went longer than I would say, you know, a, a one with an, oh, an adult would go just because you're trying to very, very gently ease them into the subject without overwhelming them with these new terms and these new ideas that they've probably never heard of before. And when it comes to to a child who's two, I mean, sometimes there's just, you just can't explain what's happening. Sometimes your role becomes more of making sure they're happy, um, mm-hmm. making sure that they're calm and, you know, enjoying themselves as best as they can while they're really stressed. Wow. So that's a lot of hats to wear yeah. in that particular <laughs> job. Yeah. Child representation is very um, dynamic and very engaging, but can also be very stressful. But it's definitely, I went to University of Chicago, which has a big emphasis on the the Jesuit learning tradition, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, putting all this education that I've gotten to use through service. And that's a very important thing for me. And I feel like children do fall into that category of kind of underrepresented people, right? We don't think of it like that. But children also have legal rights that sometimes get lost in the midst of divorce proceedings or child protection proceedings where we think a lot about the parents. We don't think a lot about the kids. So it was just very important to me to kind of serve in a way that felt best for me. And I really get along with children. My <laughs> my teachers all through college were like, why don't you be a teacher? You, you get along really well with kids. But I think this is a better avenue for me than being a teacher. Right. I think that sounds like a really good capacity to use that skill in. Right. Very cool. So I'm thinking, let's hear a little bit more about your background. So I'm going to jump to the question, what's your story? Who are you? So I grew up in South Carolina. I graduated from the South Carolina Governor's School for the Arts and Humanities, which is a an arts residential high school in South Carolina. It's the only public arts high school in South Carolina. So oh, wow. I had to apply to get in and the application was not based on academic merit. It was based on artistic talent. Um, I went for music. Okay. Um, decided ultimately music wasn't my thing. Um, I really wanted, this is so, it sounds so silly now looking back on it, but I really wanted a cooperative atmosphere and I felt like music was very highly competitive. Um, so I ended up going into Oberlin College for theater during my time at theater. I actually was the head of two organizations on the college campus centered around student theater, all of which kind of handed the reins of contracts and negotiations for rights for plays and musicals to the students. And the the school basically said, figure it out. Here's some money. So that's kind of where I got started with wow. law. Wow. <laughs> 
was frequently in contact with people who were wanting me to sign contracts and obligate the school to certain things. And, you know, you had to go through all the contracts and figure out, like, what are they actually asking of us? What can we do? What can we not do? And with musicals, it tends to come down to things like you have to use a certain type of font on all of your programs. Oh, you have to. You can only advertise in these three ways. You can't advertise in these other ways. So what you're agreeing to um, as college students, you know, we a lot of people didn't really think about it, um, but I thought it was fascinating. So I decided I really wanted to support people by becoming a lawyer more than I wanted to support people by becoming an actor as I'm not a terribly good actor. So <laughs> That's so funny. You're like, I'm reading these contracts and this is for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was never a great actor. Um, I enjoy it, but I wouldn't say I'm fabulous at it. <laughs> so I think there are plenty of people who can carry on the acting profession much more skillfully than I can. and I will happily read all of their contracts for them before nice. they sign it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have heard that you are an excellent cosplayer. Doesn't, yes. doesn't acting come into play there a little bit? It's a little bit. I'm really, and honestly, acting comes into play in, in law as well. Um, you know, I, it's just the way you hold yourself, the way you communicate with other people, um, the posing aspect of, of cosplay. Obviously, you need to know what the best look is for your body and how to display the costume and display yourself without um, looking, you know, I I personally don't like <laughs> like the way like parts of my body look. So I always try and pose so that they look better. Uh, sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't um, I think everybody fun. does that yeah, everybody does that um but you know just being able to navigate in a costume it is kind of an, an acting experience I was in the blizzard cosplay competition at blizzcon it was in 2015 at this point um and so I did walk the stage you know and they tell you you know, oh, there are 2,000 people in the audience and 10,000 people watching at home. Okay, go. Wow. And you just kind of walk onto the stage and you're in full costume and there's these really bright lights and you can hear people announcing your name and, you know, what you're cosplaying as. And you get to the center of the stage and they're like, now you have to, basically they told us, you know, you have to you do a pose like for the audience. Mm -hmm. And you could really tell the difference between people who had either some sort of acting experience or stage experience or people who'd done it before and the people who hadn't. Um, and I was really, really pleased. Blizzard used my little clip of me in the center of the stage for their promotional materials for the next two years. So clearly oh, someone, awesome. liked, someone liked the fact that I leaned back and roared at the audience. <laughs> <laughs> so what character were you dressed as? I was dressed as Sonya from Heroes of the Storm. She's okay. the named version of the Diablo III barbarian woman. Mm -hmm. So I had two huge swords, and I was in armor and a loincloth, and I was covered in blue paint and had, like, really, like, frizzy, like, red hair. And I, I felt fabulous. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Even that's if amazing. I was also very cold. <laughs> okay, so we're, I will definitely need that picture to post on social media unless it's, like, tied up because you are like this no I can share person the for the company I, there's pictures from independent photographers oh, okay. I can share. yeah I would love to see that that's so sure. funny yeah it was really fun I've got tons of pictures of Sonia um <laughs> I kind of took a break from cosplay to do law school but I am planning on attending BlizzCon again this year mm -hmm. um 
I'm working on my designs for this year's costume. Nice. So how did you get into How long have you been doing that? How did you get into it? Goodness. I found out about cosplay when I was a junior in high school. And at the time, I thought it was really neat because I was learning how to sew from my mother, who <laughs> my mother finds it hilarious that I took the sewing skills she was taught by her mother, which were all, you know, sweaters and skirts and very practical, like, household clothing. And then was like, you know what, I want to add, like, huge, like, out-of-this-world, like, designs to that. Um, So I was learning how to sew from my mom, and I was like, Mom, I found out about this thing called cosplay. I really want to go to this anime convention (laughs) two hours away from my house, and I want to make a costume for it, and it's next week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, I still have the pictures, you know, it was definitely baby's first blazer. I've never (laughs) made a blazer before in my life, Um, but it did a good job. And, you know, I'm still really proud of it. Um, And so from there, you know, I I met other cosplayers at that convention and um, I uh, got to learn a little bit more about, you know, oh, people don't have to dye their hair every time they want to play a different character who doesn't have their hair color. They can just, you know, wear a wig. And so I learned how to style wigs. I learned more about how to sew. Um, to this day, I still consider my mother to be my, um, what do I, I usually call her like the uh, the executive planning committee because she's very technical, very like numbers oriented. And so she's very good at making my weird dreams about how I want my my costumes to look into a reality. Um, <laughs> so we're kind of like a team. Oh, that's awesome. So how many characters have you played over the years? Oh my goodness. I have to be close to 20 at oh, this wow. point. I, I've done a lot of them. Not all of them have been super complicated. Asanya, I would say, was rather complicated. Yurel from World of Warcraft was also quite complicated. Um, but I've done I've done characters like Annabeth from the Percy Jackson series, which was really just me. It was a wig. I had to make a shirt and all of her accessories that they mention in the book and a little dagger to go with my outfit because she carries a dagger in the books. And that was it. And, you know, I think only children under the age of 10 knew who I was (laughs) and it totally didn't matter because I had so many kids that convention who didn't care that it wasn't like the most impressive costume ever I had people you know I had little kids running up to me and being like why are you here like are you on a secret mission and they like genuinely believed that I was Annabeth from these books that they loved and I was like yes and you have to be very very quiet about it like you can't tell anyone I'm here hunting monsters I love that that's so cute very cute that one, and then I made a, I went as Beatrice from Umineko Nonaku Koroni, which is a Japanese visual novel, and she wears a ball gown, and she's an evil witch, is her character trope, but at, all weekend I had little kids being like, it's a Disney princess, and I was like, yes, <laughs> you know, I didn't want to spoil anyone's excitement, because like, I had so many little girls who were like, I want to wear something like that. And, you know, I tell them, you know, I made it and they'd be like, oh, I want to learn how to sew. I want to like, I want to learn how to make a ball gown like that. And I think it's really important to encourage kids to kind of, you know, be, enjoy creating. It's like my favorite thing to do at costume, like at conventions is to 
you know, when kids tell you like, oh, I made it myself, you know, tell them how great it is because we all started somewhere. I always, <laughs> I'll always remember my really terrible blazer. <laughs> oh my gosh, absolutely. <laughs> that is so cool. I didn't, a couple of things. I didn't realize that cosplay also includes like characters in literature, not just characters in video games. That's pretty cool. Right. I think it's less done because you're basically going off of a text interpretation and not a visual um, okay yeah I'm I'm really grateful to Rick Riordan who wrote the Percy Jackson series mm-hmm. um for giving me such a vibrant description of all of his characters you I know, mean the put, fact that those kids knew who you were right away right? like that's that speaks to how close all, it was yeah he gives them all very you know identifiable qualities they all wear the same shirt because they all go to the same summer camp but for example the character I portrayed always has her baseball cap um she also has a string of beads that have um the number of beads that she's been at for years she's been at the camp um so getting the number of beads right and you know down to the details this author put every single bead with every single thing that was on the bead so then I had to paint them all. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, you know, so that when kids came up and they were like, can I see your necklace? They would see, you know, they'd see all the different things that I'd drawn on there. And they understood, like, wow, this is, really is a character that, you know, we see from the book. Mm-hmm. Like, this is legit. <laughs> it's definitely, I would say, harder than trying to cosplay something that you have an established visual reference for. Obviously, there could be lots of different interpretations of what Annabeth looks like. Um, but... I, I really enjoyed it. It's, it was super fun. Awesome. And I love that you basically made all your own costumes. Do you have like a closet somewhere with all of I your pasts? <laughs> I do. They're all spread out. Um, a lot of them are with my parents right mm-hmm. now because um, I made them in college. And then when I worked from home for a year, I kind of left them there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think my mother would send them to me, though, because she loves them. She likes oh, to take nice. them and show them off. But um, my armor is all here with me. Um, and all of my new costumes are here with me, but we do have one closet that is the cosplay closet. closet. My fiance doesn't touch it. He's (laughs) like, you can touch it. Is it, um, like typically in cosplay, do people play the same character over and over or is it a more likely thing that people will come as like a different person every year at a convention? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think there's definitely a pressure on people to make new and more exciting things, which has kind of stymied a lot of my friends and and honestly myself to some degree with law school, um, because at some point you just run out of time, you know, you're, you're busy, you're getting married, you're going to law school, whatever you're doing in your life that you just can't sit down and spend the money and time to make a new costume. But I think there's been a growing trend over the years of people wearing their old favorites um, just to wear them. Like I have been redoing slowly but surely my ball gown costume because I see a lot of things now with years more experience that I can fix and make nicer. Um, but overall the same, you know, I'm, I'm keeping the, the, the shapes and the actual, you know, layout of the bodice and stuff like that. A lot of it's staying the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that revisiting old favorites is kind of an up and coming trend. And mm-hmm. I really like this trend. Um, I would definitely wear my Sonya armor again, um, and have, I wore it again the next year, just not to compete. Oh, okay. Cool. 
Yeah, I was wondering, like, you know, if you have, like, 20 costumes, like, and you loved them, I would feel like I would want to wear them again. Yeah, it. it, some of them I always want to wear again. I cosplayed Alice um, from Alice Madness Returns, the video game, and I love that costume. I've worn it several times. Um, You know, and as I've gotten more experience, you know, at first, when I made that costume, it was my first character who'd ever had black hair, and I am very pale so I kind of look like a ghost but like as I've worn it more and more like I look a little less like a a ghost (laughs) a little more a little more natural it's kind of a learning experience with the makeup and the the way you present the costume as well Mm -hmm. yeah I got that pale skin gets you every time I have that same problem (laughs) I know I had someone turn to me my first time like in this costume ever wearing like a black wig and be like never wear a black wig ever again you look like a (laughs) And I was like, now it's a challenge. So I think I've, Sonya was the last character I did that didn't have black hair. (laughs) So it sounds like your interest in cosplay kind of stemmed from your interest in video games. And so you are a gamer and you've played on the same team as Mary, one of our, my previous guests on the show, right? Yes. Mary and I were both on one of the Sweet Synergy Heroes of the Storm teams. Oh, okay. So tell us a little bit about that. What's your experience with gaming? Sure. So I started playing video games. I think like most people started playing video games um, in the basement of my friend's house on the Super Nintendo. I did not have a video game console until the Nintendo 64. Um, I didn't play PC games really until college because my parents thought that the computer was evil. Um, but I had a lot of console games as a child. Um, I spent a lot of my time playing James Bond, GoldenEye on the N64. I was a big fan of Mario Kart, obviously, like a lot of kids. Um, as I got older, I kind of took a break from video games, I would say, during most of college. And then senior year of college, my boyfriend at the time was like, hey, I see you're only taking one class your final semester of college. You know what you should do? You should play the World of Warcraft. Um, (laughs) And I think he was kind of joking. I think that he wasn't expecting me to actually play this game. Um, And so he kind of set me up. I had, like, at the time, I did not have a good computer for playing World of Warcraft. I had this little tiny laptop. I didn't have a mouse. I was playing it with, like, the trackpad on the laptop. So I was a very bad player at the start. Um, And he kind of set me up and was like, you should play this class and this, like, this race. And so I played a Forsaken Priest because my boyfriend at the time was like, I think you'll just, I think you'll just really like the leader of the Forsaken. And he was right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in love with Sylvanas Windrunner. That's fine. Um, but then it became like something I played every day and then I got better than he was and then he didn't want to play it with me anymore. <laughs> um, oh boy. So that's where my like current um, kind of blizzard hype came from was my boyfriend too. Uh, at the time uh, thought it would just be a hobby that we would play together and then I started playing every day and then I started raiding and after a while when they came out with HOTS, I was invited to the Heroes of the Storm Alpha, kind of out of the blue. Um, I still don't understand how I got access to the Alpha because I didn't sign up for it. So oh, wow. <laughs> it was many accidents, but I started playing that quite a lot um, through Heroes of the Storm. And WoW is actually how I met my current fiance. 
um, we were on the same raiding team. Um, he was the tank for my raid team. And we both also really enjoyed Heroes of the Storm. So we played a lot of that together. So it was kind of fundamental in our relationship. Interesting. Um, but then from there, I played Heroes of the Storm basically all the time. And when Nikki, when Nikki approached me about the Heroes of the Storm team on one of the Facebook groups for women in gaming, I was really, really interested. Um, you know, I really mostly played with men, which was fine. My raid team is mostly men. Um, that's just something I'm, I'm used to. So the idea of having this all women space to play these games that we loved was really appealing. And Mary and I were on the same team <laughs> for the whole time. Um, I played uh, flex, which basically means that I played whatever we needed at the time that we went to draft characters to play the game. Um, so I had to be proficient in a little bit of everything as opposed to like a support character like Mary who would play only the characters that healed um, honestly to the exclusion of other characters. Um, I had to play specialist, assassin, tank, support. I had to know a few characters from all of those roles so that if we got into the game and we said, oh, you know what we really need? We really need X. Um, I had to be able to play X and I had to be able to play it well. Wow. So you had a lot of responsibility on the team. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I didn't have to play. There were certain characters, obviously, that fell more into the role of like like a support character. I didn't have to play like Uther. Uh, Mary has called him Poopther uh, <laughs> because he's very, he's very good, but he's very straightforward and boring. Yeah. Um, I almost never played the straight healer characters. It was always characters who could heal, but also did damage. Um, I didn't play, you know, we had one character, one, one woman on our team who did nothing but play the ranged assassins. So I really didn't need to know that many of the ranged assassins, um, stuff like that. I kind of filled in the gaps in what we were missing mm -hmm. from our actual, like the other four people on the team. Mm -hmm. So this was an all-female team. Yes. So what is the difference between playing on an all-female team versus a co-ed or mostly male team? I feel like there was a lot more camaraderie. Like, I, as I said, my raid team right now is almost all men. There's one other woman on the team. Um, and while we definitely get along, um, there's just a sense of openness with other ladies where you're like, you know, you feel a little bit more confident to talk about things that may otherwise, like, not go over well with men. Um, you know, things like, you know, oh, sorry, like, I just had to step to the bathroom. And, like, you know, things like you don't really bring up around guys because they, the kind of emotional, personal details, they're, they're not really here to hear them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I, our team definitely hung out a lot together outside of actual practice, which I don't think happens terribly much, you know, at least from my limited experience from World of Warcraft, I don't, you know, hang out with the guys, um, my fiance being the exception. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, outside of the game itself, we don't really like chat and hang out. We did that a lot with, um, with our esports team. And I think that really helped us kind of get to know one another and trust one another enough that you know, to the point where Mary, as she said in her episode, you know, she was the shot caller. She kind of told us what to do. Well, Mary's shot calling was sometimes um, 
like do the thing. And we all just knew what she meant because we had been around Mary so often that it was instinct for us to be like, Oh, we know exactly what she wants us to do. She doesn't have to say it with specificity because we just know. Um, I think it was very good for us. It was a good team building exercise. I mean, it sounds fun. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. Um, you know, all of us kind of went our separate ways. We have, you know, one girl who's off being an airline pilot, so we wow. don't get to play with her. Yeah, she's really awesome. That's amazing. Um, she's one of my heroes. But, um, you know, and Mary's been busy, and I've been busy, so we haven't gotten to play together like we did before, but we've come together a few times after our team disbanded um, just to play, and it's always super fun. And it's really funny because we all kind of fall back into the roles we had several years ago. Um, you know, Mary's still shot calls. We all just expect it. <laughs> We're like, you can do it. <laughs> she's funny. like, we haven't played the game in two years. We're like, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you guys all in different cities at this point? Or Yes. Um, I think we were all spread out for the most part. We had two players who were related, um, and they were still in separate cities. I think we were all five of us in, in five separate cities. Wow. So, so we we're... met up together at BlizzCon, though, which oh, was super okay. exciting. Nice. Oh, how fun. Um, yeah, we, we played, um, you know, it's, it's like definitely one of my favorite BlizzCon memories. We all went and played HOTS. At BlizzCon, not professionally, just in the in the line uh, with all the other people. Um, but we actually ended up against a group of five who were also a group that played together online. And our, you know, most of the demo matches don't actually go that fat. Like they don't go that slow because generally you have people who've never played Heroes of the Storm before trying out new characters or new maps or whatever. And <laughs> here you have these five ladies versus these five guys, all of whom are yelling like actual Heroes of the Storm players, like, go here, go here, do this, do that. And we had like, I think three or four developers over our shoulder at the end of the game. Oh, wow. Um, because they were just fascinated because here are these 10 people who are definitely Heroes of the Storm players playing these characters the way they were meant to be played. Um, you know, and it was the first time they'd ever really seen um, like kind of intense like gameplay um, with these characters. So we had these people over our shoulders like watching and like, oh, we should change this. We should do that. And like based on what we were doing um, just in the like little demo area. So that was super fun. That's so cool. Yeah, because you guys aren't just like dabbling like you have a lot of experience. Yeah, and it was super fun. Um, you know, we had the developers, they clapped at the end. Like, oh. we lost, but it was very close. So we oh think we gosh. were down to, like, one point because we were playing, um, which at the time was the new map, Tower of Terror, um, where you can't actually attack the other other players' side of the map. You have to gather shrines that attack the, their, their side of the map for you. Um, I think we were, like, 1-0, and we lost, like, right wow. at the end. It's a very close game. <laughs> and I don't know who those five guys were that we played with, but they were super fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, it's definitely one of my best, like, Blizzard memories. Oh, that's awesome. Now, aside from video games, you are a tabletop player. And I that tabletop tennis, is that what that is? 
No. Uh, <laughs> I play tabletop role-playing games. Oh, okay. So it's kind of the same vein of video games. A little bit like cosplay and acting. Okay. Um, it's like Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, okay. So tabletop role-playing games where you play with dice and generally you and your friends are sitting around a table. You have one person who's kind of leading the story. Mm-hmm. Other players who are kind of this the party members who all work together to um, complete some sort of objective. Mm-hmm. So I'm currently in one campaign. I'm starting another campaign on Wednesday. So cool. <laughs> I'm about to be in two campaigns. <laughs> See, that shows how much I know. I'm like, it must be like tabletop tennis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would play tabletop tennis too. <laughs> um, really cool. So that's, Tabletop games then are always like in person, right? You're with the people in the room. Not necessarily. Oh, so okay. there are, that's how I started playing, was in the room with my college buddies, like at the table, you know, yeah. uh, everybody's got a beer and we're all, you know, we've got our, our printed out character sheets, but there are actually websites now where you can play online. Um, so both of my oh, okay, current cool. campaigns are online. Well, and with people that maybe you don't know, or are they with yeah, people Yeah, so I knew, so the campaign I'm in right now that I've been in since last April, um, though we, honestly, it's been almost a year. We were doing pre-session stuff in February um, of 2018, so it's been almost a year with these same six people. Um, I knew one person, and it was the dungeon master or the leader of the uh, the tabletop group and uh, Kayla was basically like hey I need more players for this game I want to run um, and I know you have some experience with it would you be interested in playing with us and I was like sure I don't know any of these other people <laughs> um, so over the past year I've kind of gotten to know you know I've got my my six friends that we only hang out on Sundays <laughs> so that's kind of fun that is fun oh, so are you doing that today today's Sunday um Today we have off because she has to work. Oh, okay. So when the dungeon master has to work, we can't. Oh, yeah, you can't play, play the game. We usually without. play every Sunday um, for several hours. It's I think it's four hours. Um, and currently, I am playing a Ganassi Druid of the Moon, oh, which that is a Ganassi fun. is a rock person. Well, mine's a rock person. They are part elemental, part human. Um, so a an offspring of an elemental and a human. Um, so my character is a an offspring of an earth elemental. So she is part rock, um, and she tr- she's a druid. So she turns into animals um, and shape shifts. Wow, so that sounds her. like a fun character to play. Yeah, she's really fun. It's my first ever true neutral character, which I don't know if you know that much about the alignment chart. It kind of goes around the internet. I don't. Um, okay, so. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons made this chart, which is basically a three by three chart that is kind of boxes that you can put your characters into to give a like broad stroke example of what their personality is like. Um, So, for example, lawful good means that this character does what's best for the people, they're very lawful, so they follow the rules of the land. You know, they don't like it when characters don't follow the rules. They don't like it when people are rude or mean to other people. Um, so they're very like the the typical like you know the paladin, the the knight, like the the good doer. Um, 
you know, and the other opposite side of the spectrum on the chart is chaotic evil. That's your person who raises villages and burns things down because it's fun. And, you know, is basically like, I'm here to make everyone miserable. Um, and so there's everything in between. Um, so true neutral is generally considered one of the hardest alignments to play because you're saying you're neutral on everything. Yeah, that sounds hard. You're not lawful, you're not chaotic, you're not good, you're not evil, you're just neutral. <laughs> so a lot of the times it's a balancing act of like, my character would do what's best for herself, but also she feels really strongly that she do what's best for the party. Um, so And sometimes those two things are at odds. So it's been kind of, it's been a learning experience. I've never played true neutral before. I usually play chaotic neutral, which is mm -hmm. much easier. <laughs> yeah, chaotic sounds like an easy yeah. route to I, take. Chaotic neutral is, you know, my very, very first character ever was a, a guy who was in love with his own hair. Oh, he was okay. chaotic neutral. And so when a boss burned his hair off, he basically was like, goodbye, everyone, I'm leaving. I, I can't. <laughs> anymore and like tried to run away despite the fact that he's this brave bold fighter he was like no nah, I just can't do this anymore sorry guys <laughs> um so I think at this point we're at about 40 minutes we should move into the like womanhood questions um so Aaron what does it mean to you to be a woman here in 2019 so I feel like it's definitely a place of opportunity um you know we're kind of living in a, a world where a lot of places were previously barred to us um thinking about even, even the bar um thinking about how few women there were in the in the legal system you know as early as 30 years ago to now where over half of my graduating class was women i work with almost all women um you know a significant number of judges on my floor are women. Um, you know, we have these abilities to kind of break into these previously male dominated spaces and make these really great strides. Um, and, you know, I see that in gaming too. Um, you know, I, it used to be the norm that to be the only woman. And then we have these spaces like sweet synergy where it's suddenly it's all women. I'm surrounded by women. I have these fantastic creative friends, all of whom have gone on to these fabulous, you know, jobs in, in video gaming that they love. And I think that's so important um, that we have all these people who are kind of like breaking ground for us to like bring in more women into these previously like male dominated spaces. But, you know, it's kind of a balancing act. You want to, you want to have that like push for equality and push for like more women. Um, but also you, you don't want to like, I think everybody would say, you know, you don't want to alienate anyone. So it's kind of this, it's a balancing act. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think it's kind of a relief for me to hear that, like, in practicing law, you encountered almost like half of your class was women and you work with a lot of women judges. Like, I just, it's kind of comforting to hear that. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I recently watched the Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, documentary and I was sitting there thinking what a crazy world like like look how how far we've come where she graduated in a class with I think it was three women my class was 300 people and 150 of them were women that's amazing that's, that's amazing you know and it's you know the you know the top 10 percent of our class most of them were women they're 
smart. They're passionate. Like we're here. Like you can't get rid of us. <laughs> you know, um, all these amazing female lawyers kind of open the door for this new generation. And we're here and we're ready to tell you like we can do it too. <laughs> and ever, you're doing it. You're right. doing it. You know, I've, I've got female friends who are in all sorts of really neat, you know, first, first year out of law school jobs. I've got friends in corporate law. I've got friends in small family law. I've got friends in nonprofits. I've got other friends who are working like I am with judges, um, both in the state and federal courts. So, you know, we're kind of all over the place. Like we don't have to be confined to a box. We're all very smart and talented and very diverse. That's amazing. I'm thrilled to hear that. That's awesome. Um, so what are your favorite parts of being a woman? Um, as I said before, you know, with, with Sweet Synergy, my HOTS team, definitely like the friendships and kind of the close kinship you get with other, other women. Um, like even, you know, women I see at work um, who aren't, we don't talk a lot, you know, there's still that there's still a familiarity and there's still a, you know, someone can pull you to the side and be like, Hey, like your shirt's untucked and you don't feel embarrassed. Right. Like we, we, women look after other women. And I think that's like the defining thing that I really love about being a woman is that I know that other women will always, if not like pick me up and carry me, like definitely, you know, um, give me like hints and suggestions for going forward because we all, you know, should, and I feel like do to some extent want each other to succeed. You know, I think that the media really portrays being a woman as like this catty, like backstabbing. I really haven't experienced that, you know, outside of middle school. (laughs) I think we all kind of grew up and realized, Hey, we're kind of all in this together. Um, So it would behoove us to support one another. Right. So I, you're absolutely right. I do think the media kind of perpetuates that stereotype. And then sometimes, you know, people emulate that based on what they've right. seen, maybe not necessarily based on what they actually feel. Right. You know, I, I think the the best thing for me, my first year of law school, we actually held a women in the law seminar. And it was an entire day seminar open to primarily, they gave preference to, to female students and they had female attorneys come in, um, young attorneys, um, a woman who was 65 and about to retire. So we had, you know, a wide spectrum of like different types of attorneys, different experience levels. Um, and at the very end, after we've had this huge legal discussion about, you know, the hurdles of being a woman in the law, you know, one of them goes, okay, and now I want to talk about the most important thing, which is fashion. Because, <laughs> and that sounds so weird, but there's certain ways that women are allowed to dress in the law. And mm-hmm. it's how do you dress so you're seen professionally. But also, as you know, the younger female speaker said, she frequently gets mistaken for the secretary. So how do you portray the aura of attorney through your dress um, without coming off too wild or out there. Um, unfortunately, these are still things we have to consider. Um, you know, there are some judges out there who don't take women seriously unless they're wearing skirts. Um, this is still a thing that happens. Um, but you know, it's something that we just, I think the women of the legal community kind of work together and are like, Hey, you know, you should do this, 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 um, so that they, you know, we all succeed. 
I mean, talking about it is definitely a start to like right. changing it, but that's so interesting and surprising. Well, I mean, I guess it's not surprising, but yeah. <laughs> um, I want it to be surprising, like I want shocking. It to be surprising too. <laughs> um, I mean, men don't face that same discrimination, but I guess you know there are only so many different variations of like a men's suit. <laughs> um, so we may have already like kind of dived into this area but what are the hardest parts of being a woman just kind of thinking about you know I get it less at work now just because of what we were talking about there's just so many women that I see especially here in in Chicago Um, but kind of thinking about video games thinking about my life as you know doing rating and and work and doing Heroes of the Storm, how sometimes you feel like you have to do everything perfectly um, because your performance reflects not just on you, but on women as a whole. Um, And like I said, I see this most in video games. You know, you're really cognizant of the fact that you're the only woman or you're one of two women. And suddenly, if you're not doing well, it can kind of bring out the jokes about you know, oh, you know, that's women. They don't, they're not here to raid. They're here to find boyfriends or. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Real things someone has told me uh, with my fiance sitting right there. Um, So, you know, it's sometimes people, I don't even think they, they think about, you know, what they're saying and how it equates to basically, oh, this one person's mistake suddenly invalidates the whole gender. Um, and that's kind of, I think, I think the hardest part of being a woman is it, it shows up in other places too, you know, not just video games. I definitely feel it not necessarily in my current job, you know, but I felt it at at other jobs before the legal profession where Mm -hmm. suddenly one mistake is all, all women must be bad at whatever it is, because that's just what women do. Um, you know, I think that really discredits the hard work that a lot of women put into, making themselves the best they can be. Um, And I think it's really unfair. Right. I feel like much of the time as women, especially in like a high stakes situation where maybe you're the only woman doing a particular thing, you're not allowed to make a mistake. Right. If you make a, yeah, if you make a mistake, you become like this pariah. Right. And especially in World of Warcraft, there is this kind of pervading sense that a lot of guilds won't let women in because they feel that women will ruin the raid. Um, You know, I've got too many male friends who've been like, yeah, you know, it's just when you let a woman into your raid team, inevitably some guy ends up dating her, but then everybody else also wants to date her and then they just ruin the flow of the raid and everybody gets angry at one another. Which is, first of all, <laughs> that sounds not, like a whole lot of like, not your problem. Oh, it's not my problem. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, first of all, speaking about myself, I didn't come into my raid looking for my fiance. The fact that my fiance and I got together is entirely separate from the world of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Yes, we met on the world of Warcraft, but you know, it was the time we spent outside of the game that mattered more than you know, downing Garrosh Hellscream for the 200th time. Um, it's like, secondly, that that sounds like a, a you problem. <laughs> right. Well, and the thing is, if you went on there just specifically to, like, find a relationship, it, you probably would not have found one. <laughs> right. And I 
So I play on role-playing servers currently in World of Warcraft, and I see so many men who are like, I'm here to find a girlfriend. And I'm like, oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it just, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, how's that working out for them? (laughs) I can tell you that, you know, not all women, I can't speak for all women, but at least the women I know are there to play the game. Right. Um, Generally not looking for a significant other. (laughs) They generally... (laughs) are looking more for new gear and (laughs) better weapons and Blizzard to fix the class balancing. Like to actually play the game. Yeah, (laughs) they're they're there to actually play the game. You know, I think the the world does need to know, you know, we're passionate, we're individual, and we're here. We're, like, ready to to be at the forefront. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I think I've touched on that a lot. Um, You know, the women I most admire... um, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg, um, is definitely a great inspiration to me as a, a young female attorney. Um, you know, I think it really stuck with me when I saw her interview. Um, it was well before I became an attorney, but it was shown to me during law school, um, you know, where she was asked, you know, what would the appropriate number of women be on the Supreme Court? She said all of them. Oh, that's my favorite quote. I love that quote. And I agree wholeheartedly. It's been men the whole time. Why shouldn't it be all women now? Like, you know, I just really think she's just so brave. Like this most recent bout with cancer and she's like, oh, I'm cancer free. Time to go back to work. Like that's so like she knows what she wants to do and she does it and she doesn't let anything stop her. And I think that's fantastic. And I mean, she like um, voted from her hospital bed. She, like, really, yeah, she voted from her hospital bed. She's just so, she's such an icon and she never wanted to be, but she ended up being one anyways. But honestly, all of the women on the Supreme Court, they're just, they're very fabulous. Um, you know, shout out to my mother, who's my other <laughs> person that I admire. Um, you know, I think that she was really worried when I was a child because she's very quiet, very shy. And, you know, she said to me before, you know, I was worried I might not be able to teach you anything because you're so outgoing and you're so dramatic and you're passionate and I'm very quiet. But, you know, we share this love of sewing. Um, she taught me how to knit. Uh, she taught me how to cook. So we really did kind of have the like, you know, it's her mom passed on sewing to her and she passed on to me and I hope you know maybe one day I'll get to pass it on to my children um so it's definitely a a family experience and I feel like I really admire my mom she's very she's quiet where I am loud um, (laughs) but she's very powerful and I don't know if I've ever seen anyone with so much you know stability she's just a very reassuring person oh that's amazing what a nice bond (laughs) <laughs> yeah, she's. I'm definitely, you know, I was definitely a mama's girl as a as a child, and now so. So, what is your story of a subversive woman? So, I will tell you my story of Julie D'Albany, which is I'm sure I'm getting her, her name completely wrong, but I can give you her name if you want to put her proper name um, in a link or something. But she was from the 1700s. Um, She was a famous opera singer, um, performed nightly in Paris, but also while she was busy doing that, um, she was kind of this just intense, like openly bisexual woman who learned how to duel from one of the best duelists in France because she wanted to. And this was at a time when women didn't, they didn't duel. This wasn't something that women did, but she did it anyways because she wanted to. Um, And she killed or wounded like 10 different men um, in 
dual contests, usually because their their wives had run away with her, which was kind of crazy. She was just this, like, ladies' woman. <laughs> <laughs> like, she enrolled in a nunnery just to marry and run away with one of the, the nuns. Like, oh she, <laughs> she loved to love, and she loved to, you know, she loved what she did. She loved opera, she loved dueling, she loved, <laughs> she loved women. Um, and it's really interesting because her, you know, she was wanted for so many crimes, and then the king basically forgave her of all of them. Like, she was just so out there that the king was like, you know what, you're pardoned. Like, because she basically at the end was like, you know, I'm done being wild. I think I want to settle down and like have some kids. And oh my god! And the king was like, <laughs> okay, like okay, Julie, go ahead. Um, so you know, she's kind of this crazy tale about this woman who did what she wanted and incensed basically Paris at the time France was just in an uproar because here's this woman who's going around dueling people like crazy but they all know exactly who she is because she's on the opera stage every single night so it was just it wasn't even a secret it was just an open like I'm here and I'm queer and I'm (laughs) like a performer and so she's definitely my favorite I think subversive woman because she definitely defied expectations for what people wanted of women in the 1700s 1800s oh my gosh that I've never heard that story before that's incredible I will link you information about her she's really really interesting why hasn't there been a movie made about that Uh, I wish I think (laughs) Because at the end, she kind of does just disappear. Yeah. Um, you know, she doesn't, like, die gloriously or anything. Right. She does just decide, you know, I'm, okay, that's it's, enough. It's time to settle down now. And, you know, sometimes you just got to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I appreciate it. I love that. Yeah, I'll have to find some pictures of her to post. So. She's great. Yeah. <laughs> or drawings, I guess, if it's that old. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, so funny. Well, Erin, thank you so much for being on the show. I This is like great information. I love learning more about the gaming world because I really don't know that much about it. So, Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, the gaming world is its own separate thing. So I definitely don't blame people for not knowing that much about it. But it sounds like women are really like taking up the mantle in the gaming world, which I think is really oh, awesome. Oh yeah, for, for sure. It's really exciting to see. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, Best of luck on future endeavors. Um, Thank you so much, listeners, for listening to Womankind. Um, If you're looking to get in touch with Womankind, um, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Womankind Podcast or on my website, which has just been revamped a little bit at www.womankindpodcast.com or email me at womankindpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye, friends.